history with the podcast guy, Matt King. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast. Unfortunately, for some, our topics that we talk about may be offensive to some people. The topics that we discuss could also be triggers, and we want you to be aware of that. If you are in need of help, please talk to a professional, a family member, or a friend. We are not medical professionals, and we don't claim to be. We are just two guys with a microphone and a platform. Please listen with discretion. Welcome to This Time in History, guys. I'm Matthew. Unfortunately, my co-host couldn't uh, join me, but I'm joined today with Survivor and Mom, and her name is Amanda Johnson. Welcome to the show. Hi. And now, um, I assume you've... uh, listen to this podcast so this is how it works i give you the floor it's your story in your words at your pace go ahead so basically um well i'm so i actually lived in the lower mainland when i was younger um we moved to this town which is called princeton when i was about eight i think um and it was hard for me but you know what i ended up loving it like i rode horses every day Like, it was just a dream, really. I made friends, and where we lived was, like, East Princeton. So, like, Princeton is already really tiny, but East Princeton is, like, literally a neighborhood of, like, two streets. Is that that in the northern part of BC or in the southern part? It's um, northern part. So, like, it's, yeah, it's the northern part. So, like, um, if you know where, like, Hope and stuff is. I've heard of that, yeah. yeah. How far from Vancouver? It's like Kamloops, Kelowna area. Right, okay, so very far from Vancouver. It's about three-hour drive, okay. three-and-a-half-hour drive. So, but it's a really tiny town um, in general. So, you know, so the kids, we just, like, we basically ran around and we just did our thing, right? Like, it was not really, you know, your parents are not so worried when you're, like, living in that kind of a small, you know everybody, you just roam and whatever. So, anyways, what the my story kind of starts... Um, so one night I was at a friend's house, which she lived literally two streets over, um, not even, and like I talking an alley in a street. So like, um, I was over there and her dog was really sick. So I had phoned my mom from my house or from her house. And I phoned my mom and I had asked if I, if we had an eyedropper because we were going to try to give the dog, I don't know, you know, she was 13 and I was nine. So I was just following whatever they were saying. So. Um, and my mom said, yeah. And I was like, oh, can I stay the night? And my mom said, yeah, that's fine. I said, okay, I'm going to come home and get the eyedropper and some clothes. I'll be there in a few minutes. So at that point I had asked the friend if she would walk with me and she was like, well, no, I'm going to stay here and take care of the dog. And that was understandable. I was like, okay, I'll be back in a few minutes. So I left and I was walking home. And so actually there was two friends at the house that I was at. So while I was walking home, I seen one of the friend's dads. Um, his name is Don. I, I don't know if I should elaborate on that, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, so he was, um, babysitting the cats next door to my house because the people that live next door to me, they always went down to the coast. Mm-hmm. And so he would watch their cats. So as I was walking by, he was like, Hey, did you see so-and-so the cats or whatever? And I was like, yeah, I did. I really actually hadn't, but I was just, I don't know, being nine and wanting to be helpful and was like yeah I did or whatever and he's like oh well can you come help me look for them and you know thinking back now it's like the oldest trick in the book like you know what I mean like that's 
what you always hear, oh, can you help me find this puppy? Or, you know, and I mean, I wish I had known that story, I guess, then. But um, so he was like, okay, come in. So he he led me to go up the stairs and into the house, which the moment I stepped to those stairs, I instantly felt in my stomach sick. Like I, my instincts were like, turn around, like you should not go in this house. And, you know, that's, I'll kind of just get into, I, I install that in my children, that, that, that feeling, no matter what you're doing, where you're going, that feeling is always right. So always trust that feeling because had I trusted it, I mean, not that that's my fault, but still, you know, so I went into the house and I was like shaky and whatever. And he, when, now that I, I remember now, like he did lock the door behind me. So, and then he followed me and he was like, oh, well maybe go down there and look for the cat. So I had actually never been in my neighbor's house. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay. So I went down these stairs and I went into their basement where there was one of the cats. And I was like, oh, there's one down here. He's like, oh no, that's not the right one. So at that time, he was then coming down the stairs and the stairs were like open so I could like see the side of them. So he was coming down the stairs and I must have turned around. And at that time, he, it's kind of, it all happened really crazily and I don't really know. I can't really exactly give 100% details, but at some point he ended up grabbing me around the throat and I ended up on the floor and he was choking me. And I was like, stop, stop, like, what are you doing? And I I guess at first I had thought he was joking. And I was like, just, you know, let me go. Like, I'm going to die. Like, and he's like, no, he's like, I'm going to rape you. And that's the last thing I remember. And I was out. So at that point, whatever, he brutally raped me. Um, Violet, like, in always. So, like, brutally, like, I was nine. So, like, but when they found me there was blood in my mouth my every it was pretty brutal so I guess after that he had he had thought I was dead because I guess I wasn't breathing very good or whatever mm-hmm. so he then carried my body to a field a nearby field and he left me there alone by myself and he walked away so I don't know how long I was there I I just remember waking up and I remember trying to stand up and trying to move and I couldn't like I it was like I would stand up but I would fall back down like I couldn't actually physically move it was like a dream when you want to run and you can't move like you just literally can't so um I guess at while everything was going on my friend had phoned my mom and was like hey like is Amanda there and she's like no isn't she at your house and she's like no, she left however long ago to come there. And at that point, I guess there was a search party formed and everybody was looking for me. So um, after he left me there, he went to go, I whatever, do whatever, go home or wherever he was going. Um, my mom's boyfriend, so my stepdad at the time, he had brought my dog out to look for me because we had a, a dog and it was Akita, mm-hmm. like a park. And that, that we always used to play a game and my mom, I would go and hide and my mom would say, go find Amanda. And my dog would always come find me. So they took the dog out to look for me. Well, my dog seen him, Don, and my dog took off after him. They didn't know what was going on. They were just like, what's, what's the dog's problem? Like, so they luckily, well, not luckily, but they got caught up on a fence. My stepdad got caught up on a fence and he ended up taking my dog home. 
So after that, Don ran into his daughter, who was part of the search party looking for me. And she um, said, Dad, you know, like, come help. We're looking for Amanda. We don't know where she is. And he's like, I guess he was kind of like, didn't really want to, hesitant, but, you know, what was he going to say? So he joined her, and I guess she was, in her testimony, she was holding his hand, and his hand was really clammy, and he was really, like, seemed really paranoid. Um, so I guess she had heard me, and she was like, I think that's her. Like, do you, can you hear that? And he's like, no, it's just a cat. And she was like, no, like, I think that's her. And at that point, I guess it was, was one of the times I tried to stand up. So she's seen me. Mm -hmm. And she was like, Dad, that's her. Go and get her. Like, you need to go get her. So he ended up running to me or walking to me, actually, apparently, walking slowly. Well, my stepdad at that point, they seen my stepdad. And they, t She told my stepdad. So anyways, the first face I seen was his face above me. Um, and then my stepdad picked me up and he carried me home. But everybody in the neighborhood, like I was naked everybody in the neighborhood like there was boys there was like all the kids like are all looking for me so my stepdad's carrying me home and he's asking me who did this and I said to him Don but our landlord was also named Don so I guess nobody really knew who until um I was fully conscious again which wasn't until about 24 hours later um that I was because I was in and out of consciousness for the remainder of the evening mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, um, so I w went home and I know that I remember they put me on my bed and I remember then I think I was out again and an ambulance driver trying to talk to me and I don't remember being an ambulance, but at that point, then I went to the hospital. Obviously I was spent about a week in the hospital. Um, the worst, I think I'll tell you the worst part probably was being in the hospital and them all wanting to do these, all of a sudden, all these exams on me. And I'm literally like, don't, like, I don't want to be touched by anybody. I just want everybody to leave me alone. And I'm crying. And I remember my mom beside me just bawling her eyes out and just being so upset. And she's like, just leave her, just leave her for a minute. Like, so that is probably one of the most traumatizing parts of, to me. Because it's just, you just at that point, like, the last thing you want is people touching you. Mm -hmm. So, at that point, I think I went back unconscious again, and I didn't wake. I woke up again, and I was in a room. Um, and I remember waking up, and I needed to go to the bathroom. And so I walked into the bathroom, and I looked at my face, and it, I didn't even recognize myself. I was, uh, my whole face was bloodshot and bruised, and my eyes were black, and I had, like, blood, like, when I don't know what it is, but when you get blood in your eyes, like the whites of your eyes are full of, so the whites of my eyes were pure blood. Mm -hmm. And I went to go to the washroom. And of course, at that point, I realized that wasn't going to be like a comfortable thing. And just, it was just such a, yeah, it was an ordeal for sure. Um, so I don't know if you have any questions. Do you want me to keep going? Just keep going. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm so far so good. So, um, after uh, I was in the hospital for about a week, um, which was, you know what, I, I will say actually after that I wanted to be a nurse because I was I was in the Princeton Hospital, which it's basically just a bunch of, it's a lot of old people. So it's, Sorry, I did have one question before you go any further. Yep. Uh, so you're in the hospital. At what point, are you at the point yet where you clarified which dawn oh. it was? Yes. So I don't know exactly when I did that. 
whether it was when I was at home or in the hospital, I, I must've been at home because so, yeah, so I did clarify at some point that it was him. Um, cause my stepdad, I guess, asked me, I don't know exactly. I can't remember that part exactly, but I do know that the police were, so he went, actually, this is another part. I gotta go back. So yeah. after he found me, he went home to his wife and he told his wife what he did. And his wife was like, what? Like, you better get dressed because I'm calling the police. So I guess at that point he got dressed and he went and hid. And so I guess it wasn't, I don't know exactly what time it happened at. I mean, I can only assume around eight and nine, like before nine, because I don't know that I would be like, oh, that late. I don't really know. But um, the police found him. It was like two o'clock in the morning and his brother lived in the neighborhood as well and had a trailer and he was hiding inside that trailer. And I guess the he wouldn't come out the police dogs actually had to go in and pull him out so i mean i guess that's some justice <laughs> but um it was there was um so it was very like it was very obvious that there was no question whether it was him or not once everything was said and done because i had evidence under my nails i guess i had scratched him and i guess he had scratches on his body and he like there was dna all over me and so it was never really questioned whether it was him or not once everything was said and done. So he was put in jail at that point in time. Um, I spent my time in the hospital and I, the nurses were amazing and they let me come and help them like, you know, make the old people's beds and um, do um, hand out their dinners and stuff. So that was great. Um, so fast forward, um, I guess months, maybe even a year, I don't know. Um, it came to like court and stuff like that. So I was given an option to testify or not. So I didn't have to testify. Um, and I guess I must have weighed my options at that point And I said that I wanted to. So, you know, I, and I don't regret that even for a minute. Like it was, it wasn't an easy thing. Cause you know what, even as a child, like they have his lawyers cross examining and telling me that I was lying. And like, they're trying to make me slip up on like where I walked or this or that. So we did go to court. Um, I did testify. Um, and they did find him guilty, but he tried to put a sleepwalking defense forward. So that it became a really big story. Like I have probably 20 newspaper clippings on it, which it's how often like that stuff really isn't publicized and which is sad to be honest it should be there should be like a spot for that kind of stuff it should always be publicized because that's how it's just sad but anyway so he originally he tried to put it forward a sleepwalking defense which was torn apart and they were like no there's just no way but he was originally sentenced to six years for aggravated sexual assault and attempted murder six years that's it six years and he would have only served about a year and a half of it because in Canada, I think you, well, I think they've changed this now, but there was a thing considered called dead time. So basically the time that you spend in jail before your trial, you get time and a half for that. I think, so, in, I think in Ontario, they call it time served. Oh, maybe. Well, I just know, I just, <laughs> that's just what I remember it being called. But either way, the point is, is that, so you get time and a half for that, which is ridiculous. But um, I guess because the conditions aren't as great, but like. I don't know. I don't know that any conditions were good or were bad enough for him, in my opinion. So he would have served a year and a half, um, which is like, so his only mistake was that he didn't kill me. 
and you're going to give like that. So anyways, the crown did appeal it and he ended up uh, getting 12 years and he did end up serving every last one of those days because he did get out on parole once and he violated his parole and he got put back in jail. But what I will say is that when they released him on his final release, which was however long ago now, I think I was 21 maybe. Um, they sent me a letter and they said that he was very high risk to reoffend, and that he denied uh, or did not complete any of the um, uh, courses or programs that they had um, recommended for him. So why are we, re- I don't understand why we're releasing people like that then. If you think he's high risk to reoffend, I don't know. Then, then you should. He should have been taken to court, and had the dangerous offender tag applied on him. That's what happened to Paul Bernardo. Oh, really? So yeah. what? What? I don't know how that works, and I don't know that that's something. So I was told I couldn't sue him. Like I, I'm not allowed to sue him or anything like that. Why which not? Is, I have no idea exactly why. So because I was so young, like a lot of that detail, a lot of those details are like beyond what I know, right? And um. I just know that I had brought it up because so when everything was said and done, they gave me 24 counseling appointments. Victim services gave me 24 counseling appointments. So, I mean, I'm not sure about anybody else, but 24 counseling appointments, especially at nine years old, uh, isn't going to really work (laughs) because what I'm going to, they, and the thing about it, so you can appeal and get more counseling sessions, but all of the sessions have to be directly about that crime. Um, and also you have to have specific counselor and the rate that they give is a very low rate considering what counselors are paid. So like you have to find somebody willing to take that low rate. Um, and the thing about that is like, it doesn't matter what anybody wants to say. My whole future is going to be impacted by that. So you're going to say it has to be directly related, but my whole life is directly related to that. Like if, the thing about victims, childhood victims of crimes like that is that you, it's a very high um, percentage are re-victimized. So it's not, it's not just a one and done thing because it's not, and it's not their fault. It's just that you're, you're, you're almost like broken. Like, like I say, like, you know, like you're, people feed off of that. So it becomes like, it, that wasn't the last time that I was, I was sexually assaulted. So like it goes further and deeper and it's all related to that. So yeah, um, that's, yeah. But yeah, the re-victimization is a real thing. And it's, that's, that's, that's where the Trump, the real trauma gets brought up too. Right. So it's, it's hard. So you, you can't sue him, but they didn't give you like a, a solid reason who's telling you this the the crown or his defense lawyer victim services is who told me that really so it was because they were like there was some basically i guess there was something signed i'm i probably didn't sign it because i was underage obviously Mm -hmm. that was basically an agreement that i wouldn't sue um so Mm -hmm. which doesn't really make sense to me but i yeah but i will say he gets counseling for the rest of his life um, he also in jail got pizza and Friday pizza and movie Fridays, and we protect these people. 
and that is probably where my biggest passion now has come to. It's, we should not be protecting these people. You know, like I get that there's some people that maybe do have issues beyond that, but like, why are we giving them pizza and movies? Like, I don't understand. I didn't even get that growing up. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't have that luxury. But are, these did. Do you know if he spent his time in general population or in uh, protective custody? So there's a there's actually a jail. It's called the Mountain. I I could be wrong. It could have changed its name, and it's actually a specific jail for people that are protective custody people. So like, for instance, child. Um, people that hurt children and stuff like that. So there's a one jail for them. So they don't, they are all in general population then at that point. Right. So, and it's kind of like, what did somebody tell me one time? Cause I know somebody that was transferred there and then transferred out of there. And they basically said, it's like a daycare. Like it's literally like, it's, it's not, it's not real jail is what he, I was told. So he was at one point transferred from there to a jail that was literally I did a run with my school three pet times a week past that jail. So my mom then phoned and was like, um, this is not, this is not okay. And I guess he got stabbed and he willingly left within two weeks of being there. So, I mean, rightfully so, but like the, the, it's the justice system is not right these days. Or maybe at any days, and in Canada especially, it's really bad. I agree. Yeah, so that's, going forward, I just, that's my biggest thing is I just want to be a voice for other people because I know that there's so many people suffering. Can I ask, um, with everything that you've been through, um, have you been able to move forward? Did you, were you able to get married? Um, anything like that? Um, and that's... So that's part of the trauma, right? So I am, I, I'm a bro, I'm a broken person. Part of me is a broken person. I don't trust anybody. I have PTSD. I have depression. I have anxiety. I, um, I have been in addiction multiple times, and I mean out of addiction at the same. Like, so I've been in and out, and I have gotten better. But like, I have my two kids, um, and that's amazing. But I mean. I guess it, what happens is it comes up at times that just randomly things will come up and it will start to affect me again. And so I've been in four long-term relationships and three of them were abusive. Um, two of them were physically abusive. Well, actually even the third one, one time was physically abusive, but three of them, so three of them were physically abusive, but one time was only one time, I guess. They were all mentally and emotionally abusive. Um, the one that I'm sitting in or out of right now is a narcissist and like the emotional, the emotional damage that's being done is so extreme. Like it just brings you back. Like, you know, so you're just constantly going through the motions and you stay in toxic relationships because you just don't feel worthy. You stay and you allow things that you shouldn't. And I feel like I've replayed that being left like trash, just like he did to me, I feel like I've replayed that in every relationship that I've ever had. I've just been thrown away like trash. I'm so sorry for everything that you've been through. Um, you're a warrior and you're a survivor, and everyone is going to know that now, even if like your TikTok is what moved me. I was like, wow, I have to talk to this lady. 
yeah well you know I don't I just want to be a voice for other people that don't have a voice and you know I know I still have my own healing to do but I feel like maybe some of that healing will come in helping other people because there's so many people that have not had any voice especially men actually I agree and I I find there's men actually there's one man that actually just commented today and you know that he's broken because you know what he said oh I was a victim too you get over it you don't and you don't that's not something that ever goes away and a lot of people say to me and that a lot of people commented saying you're so strong and I'm like strength is uh, I guess a perceived thing but strength is believe me that the amount of times that I have thought that I wish I could go back to that day and I wish I would have just died because I have suffered every single day now so but strength is having the strength to stand up even after the fact and defend yourself and unfortunately that's the only option that's left and that's that's exactly and that's what I mean is that it's strength isn't always a choice that's probably the best way I can put it strength isn't always a choice that people make it's a it's a reality you're given you don't ha- I didn't have a choice you know what I mean like when I lived that day I was made to be strong but I lost my whole childhood I mean after something like that happens you don't get to be a kid anymore you have to go to court you have to fight for I mean I had to go to court and and go and sit on a stand right in front of him he there was a like a visor thing but like I could hear him he was un Velcroing and velcroing his reef, velcroing his shoes, velcroing his shoes. Um, and at one point, they actually, when they went to go take him out of the courtroom to go bring him downstairs with the recess or something, they brought him right past me. And he looked at me and he smiled. Like, if that doesn't scream sick, I mean, I'll, te- I, yeah. I'll tell you, um, I told you, I told you off, uh, off air about a little bit about what I went through. So for the court, for me, um, I never had, I never got a chance to testify, be- but he because he took a plea deal. But I went to the pretrial thing, and he was there, so I saw him with my own eyes, and it took everything out of me not to um, give him my own brand of justice. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and uh, you know, he only got eighteen months. He got 18 months. I wasn't his first kid, so he was a reoffender. So I don't understand. The part that I have a problem with is how does a reoffender get only 18 months? I understand if it's a first offense, even though it's disgusting what he did. 18 months. I could understand that, but I wasn't his first. So he, with every time you do that shit, that the penalty should be steeper. To be honest, so actually I wasn't his first either. But oh, I didn't know that. The crime that he committed before he was, un- I guess he was like 18, like he was under, he was somewhat underage or he was very young. He actually slit a girl's throat. Oh my God. And so I never met this girl. <laughs> my mom, when my mom went to one of the court hearings at some point, <clears throat> she met her. Um, they actually did not allow them to bring that up. I guess he was 18 or 19. He was young, but his, his family took care of it apparently. Like, so it wasn't, um, whatever but the, the point is is that that's you slit somebody's throat like that there is no other intention in that than death that's right and that just means i about that and i'm like how lucky was i 
that he thought I was dead already. Because had he not, who's to say what? Yeah, I read I read your article that you sent me, and it says that uh, the reason you survived is because the child's throat is. Uh, no. I, 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 One second. Yeah. No, no, no. Thank you. I told you. Thank you. Sorry. That's okay. Is yes, so uh, the, I can't. I don't. I rem, I don't remember the wording, but it's if if you were an adult at that time, it, that would have been so, it. So actually, what it was, so he what they were basically saying is that he actually used his full strength when he choked me. He as hard as he possibly could, um, and that's why where they got the attempted murder from. Because like, so basically, what they said is, if I was a day older, if basically if I had been any older, even a year older, I would have died. Because your um, larynx, I think it is, or whatever it is, is um, flexible and soft when you're younger. Mm -hmm. um, and as you get older, it hardens. So because mine was still, I was still younger, it, the only thing that saved me was the fact that it flexed. And that was, yeah, my saving grace. And the only reason that I do know that he thought I was dead and that he had attempted to kill me was that um, when I was in high school... I actually did, um, and it, so I, there was these mediator people, and I don't even know how this all came about, but I, the school counselor and whatever, I don't know how it all came about, but there was like this thing that we basically did where they did a mediation. So they actually went in and asked him questions that I had, and they brought me a video of him answering these questions. So he had, I guess, been willing to do this. Um, I don't know um, exactly what... Um, what was I going to say? Sorry. ADHD is a terrible thing. Um, I don't know exactly what made that happen or why we decided to do that or I'm not really sure, but mm -hmm. either way we did. Um, and I guess maybe it was a good thing. I don't even remember the questions that I asked, to be honest. I only remember that question because it ruined me so much because one of the questions was, I think it was, um, did you, was it, was he set out looking for me or was it just really anybody? And I think he said that he, he said he didn't plan it. Like it wasn't, it was just happened. Mm -hmm. But then he said that he did. Yes. That when he had choked me, he was trying to kill me and that he had thought I was dead when he, he's like, yes, I was trying. Yes. I was trying to kill you. And I did think you were dead when I left you in that field. So I'm, and that broke me. And I don't, like I said, I can't remember any of the other questions, but that in itself is like a pretty um, tragic thing to hear that somebody literally attempted to kill you. So after this happened, how did you adjust to things like school? Did you go? Were you homeschooled? Uh, it, it literally ruined every part of my life. So my mom, my mom tells me because see, I don't remember a lot from okay. before it happened. My, it's actually a, a fact that most of the time when you have a childhood trauma that you will forget, or even, I think even adult trauma, like you will forget a good portion of what happened in your life before that, because you are kind of a changed person after. So, but my mom always put it like this, that she's like, you had this sparkle in your eye, you know, every child always has, she's like, and after that day, that sparkle was gone. And I didn't, I did never do well in school again. I hated school. I went to school 
maybe like, I mean, my mom had to fight with me. There was times in elementary school, my mom had to get the principal to come to pick me up because I refused to go to school. I did graduate, but I graduated with an adult diploma. I just could never apply myself. I, my focus was never on school. I couldn't focus. I was um, just all over the place. And I think that's a very common thing with trauma too. And I think that most of the time people get diagnosed with ADHD and it's not ADHD, it's trauma. And so, and I've been diagnosed with ADHD. So I think that there's just so many things, uh, there's so many things that need to be fixed about this system the way that we are trying to heal people, which we're not healing people, the way that this justice system works, like they're not helping people either. They're just making criminals worse and they usually come out and they usually reoffend. And maybe not these type, but we're not, we're not helping anybody in this society anymore. And that's really what it comes down to. I agree completely. That's a large part of what now the, the podcast is shaped, it's about raising awareness and about raising accountability because they go hand in hand. And I feel like the governments, schools, police, all the authorities that you can think of, they all run from accountability. They want nothing to do with it. And, and we have to hold them accountable because they're the ones in charge. And there's... I, I can't think of any any better way than to have interviews like this and and on times when I do topics and just lay it at their feet uh, you know we're doing sensitive subjects like suicide like that's a big one um, that's that's actually how this all started uh, with Amanda Todd um, we did yeah. it, our third episode was Amanda Todd and everything that has happened on the podcast since then is because of that episode and because of all the wonderful feedback that I received so I actually know another girl that has a similar, well, not, not, she wasn't sexually exploited, but I know another girl that has a, a story similar, but she, it happened when I was 13. So it's, the thing is, is there is no justice for people anymore. People are not being held accountable and people are just getting away with everything unless you're a drug dealer. And, and that's the problem and the justice system needs to change and, there needs to be help out there because people like me are suffering every single day because there is no help because see, once you get those 24 counseling appointments, I'm basically stuck into the system that's overrun and underfunded where I may get a counseling appointment once a month or you know what I mean? But it's underfunded because our both, both the provincial governments and the Canadian government are too busy sending money overseas. And yes, those places need it. I don't disagree there. But no, we but need it here. Help, help our country first. Exactly. Mental health, uh, therapy, all that stuff, that should all be covered. And I think when I was a kid, I think it was. But it's changed since I was a kid. Because all that crap that happened to me happened when I was 12. So I think at some point that stuff was covered. But then they kept making cutbacks and cutbacks and cutbacks. What, is, what has happened is that the system is so overrun because they haven't been fixing these problems all of these years that all of these people that have been traumatized when we were young are now so messed up that the system is so filled with people that need help that they can't, there's not enough help for them. And that's, well, I know for BC, that's what it is. There is just, the mental health crisis is literally a crisis. Like it's, 
it's so extreme and so many people need help and there just isn't enough help to help them. And uh, that's Ontario's probably the same, maybe not, not that much different. We have homeless people everywhere. Shelters are full. Drug addicts are everywhere. And people need help, not only with mental health, but with addiction as well. And you're yeah. right. The system is overrun. And I do believe in my, in my own opinion, and I know we're kind of off topic, but addiction is one of the hugest things that's misinterpreted. And people think that people want to just put down drug addicts. And it's like, do you understand that? I will say that 90% of drug addicts are there because of trauma. It's a coping method. From, it, that's exactly. And for me, that was the exact same thing. It's, it's, it's a coping mechanism. It is something that suppresses what you really feel until it makes it skyrocket huge when you eventually get into the addiction and the thing about it is that if we could just get to the point where we could help these people before it gets there then we wouldn't the government just won't let won't they just so i'm that's where i am at now i am in a place now that i want to i want to see change i want people's voices to be heard because i will also say that i believe that there is a much higher percent of men that actually are sexually abused than is known to anybody because they don't speak about it because it's it's shunned it's shamed upon and that needs to change i agree because i believe i believe that that statistic is a lot higher than what is being reported um there needs to be a system put in place so that we're making sure that children are not being abused at home not just sending social services in randomly because there's a call because anybody can clean them up a mess before they come well, you know, CPS, CAS here in Ontario is one of the things that I'm fighting against because I find that specific specifically with them, when you need them, they are not there. And when you don't need them, you cannot get rid of them. I have experienced that as a child and as a parent. Yeah, and... And you want to know what? I, the same for me. After that happened to me, we, um, I don't know what it was. So I went and seen a counsel, one of the counselors I went and seen. And basically she had, we were talking and I had said to her, like, I'm scared of all men or all males. Like, I'm just fearful. Like I, I, at, because after I would not be left alone with a guy, like my mom, I would not let her, like even my own dad, like I just was terrified of anybody. And she basically went and reported something along the lines that my brother did it. So child services shows up to my house and like they're making all these statements and my mom's like, excuse me? Like there was evidence, like did you not read? Like there was a court case about this. There was evidence. Her brother wasn't even in the same town. Like, so anyways, but yeah, they were, t they were there, but did they, they didn't, the thing about it is what they, they need to start offering services rather than removing children because Unless there's a real, real need to remove these children. I mean, a lot of the time, you're taking children away because parents are poor. Mm -hmm. Well, do you know why parents are poor? Because nobody's been giving, being given resources to fix that problem because they don't care about that. So there's just such a, there's such a problem in this country with helping. And that's where it, where it comes down to. And that's where I'm at is that I just want to see people's voices being heard. And I want to see people healing because you know what? hurt people hurt people yes and we're going to continue to see this pattern and we're going to continue to see hurt people and we're going to continue to see sexual abuse and child sexual abuse and physical abuse until 
we fix the problem. And that's simple as that. That's very, that's, you know what? I couldn't have put it better myself. So I'm like, so I'm this, I'm just starting now, like, like literally after that post and seeing all the support and everything, like I'm at a point now, I'm like, you know what? Like I want to see change. So my, I'm not sure what my plan is yet, but I want to do something and I'm going to do something and I'm not sure what, but I am going to make my voice heard and I'm going to help and do whatever I can to put something out there that is going to help change things because I can't just sit here and watch it all happen because I have two kids now too. Well, I will say that uh, survivor to survivor, I would like to be a part of that in any way possible if you need my platform or you need me on the sidelines with you i am there uh whatever in whatever capacity that you need because i agree with everything that you have said today wholeheartedly change is definitely needed it's overdue and it's it's frankly it's unacceptable that it's gotten this bad that's and i it's unacceptable like it's, it's making me emotional because it's just so gross and i literally it gets overlooked because there's so many other problems, but you know what? Like there just needs to be change. People need to be heard and voices need to be heard. Like I said, even like the fact that it's not never reported, like you don't see this in the news. You don't see it in, there should be a specific spot in that newspaper that tells you exactly who did this and what happened. Like there just needs to be change. People need to be healing. And if you're not healing people, you're only hurting them. So I don't know what, and as soon as I figure it out, I will let you know. Um, but I plan to do something. I just am trying to get my ideas together and figure out what it is I can do because we all know protesting isn't allowed. So uh, <laughs> yes, it's a sensitive issue right now. <laughs> it's a bit of a sensitive topic. I mean, I know like the protesters just came through Vancouver, and I'm sure they like tried the anti-protesters tried to stop. Like so now we got people that aren't even the government that are stopping these. Pro it's just like shaker, and then they come out with the UN. The UN they admit it. The UN was there. So I'm not really into fighting against the UN. So I think protesting's out. But uh, I do plan to do something. I'm just not quite sure what yet. But as soon as I know, I will let you know for sure. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to this interview. It takes a lot of guts to come out and tell your story. I know that um, personally, and I really, really appreciate it. And I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much. And just... For anybody if listening my account is beautifully broken um i have put up an, a post for men survivors actually i recently just put up a post and i want to see i want to see numbers on that because i just want men to have a voice too so if anybody sees that my account is beautifully broken um 86 come in check it out and come in just yeah see thank you again so much for agreeing to this interview and thank you for having me.